Blog Talk Radio. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live this September 8th, 2016. want to welcome everybody to the show. Of course, we are live every Thursday night from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 Eastern time, uh, depending on where you are in the country. Uh, great show for you tonight. We're going to, of course, start it off as normal with uh, Coach's Corner with the two great uh, professionals here in just a minute. I'm going to bring them on just a, just a moment or two. But let me remind everybody, of course, that we are live every Thursday nights, as I said, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central. Uh, quickest way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com. Up in the search key, type Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And if you can't join us live, don't worry. Just go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Golf Talk Live and scroll down into the on-demand section. All the programs, of course, are auto-recorded, so you can listen to them when it's convenient for you. Uh, always love to have uh, people call in when they can, and uh, we're certainly inviting you to do so, whether you during the Coach's Corner or when my special guest comes on later this, uh, this evening. And you can do so by calling area code 646-716-4667. Uh, also, email me any comments or questions about the show to ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And, of course, I update on all social media, Facebook, Twitter, and, and of course, LinkedIn. And you can find me uh, on any of those uh, great social media platforms. As I said, I've got a great show for you tonight, uh, starting off with Coach's Corner. And then uh, the second half of the show, I've got something a little bit different haven't done here on the show really before. Uh, it's a, a two-part series that we're going to uh, do the first part of a, a special two-part series on how to really grow your, your golf business. And it's not just uh, for the golf industry uh, per se. It's also really for any of you entrepreneurs out there because part one, of course, is going to be seven tips to growing your golf business. And then part two, which will be air next week, uh, will be people and relationship building tips uh, for your business. So that's going to be a little bit different. But uh, I, certainly we're targeting uh, people in the golf profession uh, with, with the uh, first uh, part, but it can really apply to anybody. And then the second show next week, of course, is to uh, a much broader audience. And joining me to talk about that in the second half of the show, of course, is my very special guest, Mr. Peter Willis, and he is the president and founder of the Willis Organization. So, But let me bring on the guys here. Uh, first up, of course, on the Coach's Corner is John Hughes. He's a PGA Master Professional. Uh, also the vice president of North Florida PGA section, and he was the recipient of the uh, Horton Smith Award back in 2013. And also he is ranked as one of the top 30 instructors by Golf Tips magazine. And certainly uh, right up there with him, of course, is my next guest is Brandon Stukesbury. He's the director of instruction at the prestigious Idle Hour uh, Club in Macon, Georgia. And he's been uh, considered to be ranked in Golf Digest as best in state instructor uh, rankings for Georgia and honored as the 2015 Central uh, Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year. Uh, he also specializes in competitive player development and enjoys teaching players really of all levels uh, from you beginners out there right up to the PGA uh, Tour. So, uh, John and Brandon, welcome to uh, Coach's Corner. Thank you, Ted. Thanks, Ted. Looking forward to another great show. 
Well, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you, as always. Okay, guys, uh, just a, a, a quick side note. Of course, we were talking a little bit of football here just off the air uh, before we start. Of course, we're, we're coming into the beginning of the SEC season. Um, so, John, I'm going to ask you first, uh, who's your team in, in your household or, or teams? And then, uh, Brandon, I'll, uh, I'll let you uh, chime in as well. Well, because this is a national show, it's not just SEC season. It's football season, Ted. Come right. on now. Uh, my my team happens to be a historic one. Nine years ago, they made a statement and almost did this past Saturday with Brendan's uh, small little band of volunteers, Appalachian State University. <laughs> Brandon, you want to respond to that? <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy to say that now, after we – squeaked by with a fumble on the one-yard line that rolled over the end zone and we recovered in overtime, John and I can officially be friends again. That's uh, right. It, it was tough there for a little while. I was worried about our, our relationship, but I think we're back to good now. Sorry, John, for a, a hard-fought victory that, in all in all honesty, probably should have been yours. But uh, my In 25 more years, we'll be more fit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Well, both of you certainly played a better game than, of course, the team uh, here in, that I uh, bank on. That's uh, Auburn, of course, the Auburn Tigers. Uh, I don't know what's been happening to them to the last uh, few years, but uh, they've sort of been uh, rolling with the tide, no pun intended. Um, but we'll see what happens with them this year. But, all right, this is a golf show, so we've got to get back to uh, the topic at hand. All right, guys, I wanted to talk a little bit about tonight on the Coach's Corner panel. I wanted to talk a little bit about teaching and learning. Um, there's a few different principles that I want to cover tonight on the show. And uh, what I'd like for you to do is I'd like for you to talk about um, from your own perspectives and then also from your, your students' perspectives maybe a little bit. And this will help some of those golfers out there maybe understand the relationship between instructor uh, and student as well. So the first one, of course, um, obviously every student has picked up at some point uh, a bad habit or two, some more than others. And uh, obviously we have to allow them some some opportunities to, to sort of mourn the loss of those bad habits as we work with them to move into some better habits. So, um, Brandon, I'm going to start with you tonight uh, for something different. I want you to talk a little bit about, obviously, you, you've had some bad habits, I'm sure, along the way as you were learning uh, to play this great game, and, and obviously you've seen many of your students come in with maybe some less than perfect habits. Um, what did you do to sort of break that, and and what sort of a time frame did you give them to really – sort of move and, and get some momentum into a, a more positive uh, learning process? Yeah, that's a great question, and, and one that, quite frankly, I think most people fail to even consider. I, I think it was Socrates at one point that said, when trying to change a habit, focus more on moving new instead of changing old. Uh, and, and I think that's a really important topic that most people don't understand. It's not really about I would word it differently than saying changing a habit and more building new motion to replace mm -hmm. old motion. Um, okay. And so I think a lot of times what happens when people are, I think a lot of times what happens when people are trying to get better, what they end up doing is they end up trying to find comfort in a change. Right. And that just doesn't happen. The very nature of change means it's different, and different yeah. is never comfortable. And so 
one of the biggest things that I try to get through to students very early on in the process is, look, if I'm asking you to do X, don't try to make X feel like Y. Just let's try to feel X, and then we can talk about what X feels like and then try to feel X again. Um, right. And so if you can get people through that, that initial phase of understanding that it's not, it's not going to be comfortable. Quite frankly, it's the opposite of comfort. It's, it's pretty uncomfortable, but that's okay. That's part of it. If you can get them past that, then it starts to be a lot easier for them. Time frame's a great question because no, I'm good. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry. I got this. I'm, I'm standing while my wife's going in a restaurant here and he's asking me if I'm okay. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, Time frame is an interesting topic because it, it depends totally on the person and it depends on the, the move you're trying to change. And so the quicker the person understands that it's okay to feel different and embraces that difference, then that person's going to get better and start to change that habit a lot faster. That also being said, right. the bigger the part of the body or the bigger the motion or the more finite the motion is meaning if I were asking you to change your body motion it might be a little more challenging because there's a lot of pieces involved or if I'm asking you to change the the, the angle of the club face at the moment of the strike that, ha- that that happens in a very very tiny amount of time and it's got to be timed perfectly both of those will require a lot more effort to build new habit because they're very challenging motions that either involve a lot of the body or a very a very tiny little piece that has to be timed perfect so Timing is totally dependent on person and what you're trying to change, but you got you got to learn to accept difference. Okay, faster you do that, right. faster it's going to change. Right. Well, well said, Brandon. Um, John, Brandon may, raises a couple of interesting points. First one being obviously um, it, it depends on what what you're looking to change, um, but also he t- he you know talked about how um, people you know, have a certain comfort level, they get into a routine or, or what have you, and, and they're comfortable. For instance, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, I've been, you know, playing with this grip uh, this way for, for many, many years. It just feels right to me, but it may not be the correct grip. Um, so, uh, again, just sort of playing off of what Brandon's talked about here and, and maybe talking about some of your own experiences, um, how, do we, how do we incorporate it and get some momentum in a, in a more positive direction while we sort of discard or shed the skin, if you will, of some areas uh, that maybe uh, are not in the best interest of the golfer? Well, I'm going to harken back to a conversation Brandon and I had with you, I believe it was last month, as well as something he said just just today. Uh, let's deal with the X and the Y first. Uh, I say the same thing that Brandon, Brandon says. I say it a little differently that you've got to be able to feel the difference between X and Y before you can ingrain and incorporate X, meaning that you and your habits and your kinesthetic awareness of what your habits are are ingrained. And until you can feel a significant enough difference where the eyebrows go up and the jaw drops to the ground and you go, wow, I felt that. It's at that point where Brandon is absolutely correct that you can discuss what that new feeling is, and in that discussion you detail it and you you put it to good use by trying to repeat what it is that you desire to do, versus focusing on the comparison of what it should feel like versus what it does feel like. It has no relevance because from the moment we pop out of the womb, we're hardwired a certain way to learn. 
Mm-hmm. And that goes back to the second thing he said last month about him and his daughter teaching his daughter how to throw the ball. That that story, Brandon, has really hit me like a ton of bricks over the past month, and I've, I've looked back at a lot of things uh, within my teaching practice, within my career as a golfer, and just as an athlete, and and Brandon was absolutely right. When you pop out of the womb, I'm going to say it a little bit differently. When you pop out of the womb, you have no definition of fear. And because there's no fear, you're willing to just go about your business and learn from trial and error, for lack of a better way of saying it. The example I give people is when you watch an infant learn to walk, that infant biophysically can't balance itself yet because the equilibrium isn't developed enough. So right. when they go too fast, they topple over. But what's toppling over? As an adult, we equate that to a mistake, an error, a flaw, a fault. And the infant doesn't. It's just part of the learning curve because there is no definition of that fear of failure they get up, and what do they do? They try it again, but they typically try it at a slower pace. And that slower pace is dictated by what the equilibrium can balance and what it can't at a particular speed. And when I explain this to my students, that hey, let's not be in a hurry. I know you are, but let's not be in a hurry. Let's give your equilibrium a chance to balance all this out because it's hardwired that way. I can sometimes get them in a, in a roundabout way to forget their fears, that just to sort of rely on instinct, that hard wiring we're born with and will die with. Unfortunately, as we get older, we forget about that and try to shortcut it to a, to a certain extent. And it's at that point where you basically negate any type of learning when you're not utilizing what's innate in, in you as, as a human first as your own person second. So as I try to have people understand their learning curve, it is different for everybody. It may be faster for one, slower for the other. That's based on a lot of variables. But at the same time, the basis to that learning curve is still the same because we are human. There's only but three or four different ways we're going to learn as humans. We as good coaches have to adapt to what's the predominant way each of our students are going to learn and adapt what we provide them in a manner in which they can do it the most efficiently, the most effectively, and the most sustainably. Right. Well said, guys. Um, And, and yeah, you know, obviously – there is no specific time frame for each uh, person. And again, as you pointed out, John uh, and Brandon as well, it really is going to depend uh, on the individual and, and how quickly they learn and, and the method uh, in which they learn. Um, uh, the second and third principle are, are sort of work hand in hand, but I'm going to do them independently for a reason. Um, and, and Brandon, I'm going to go back to you here. Uh, under principle two, of course, we're talking about the willingness to change. You know, once we've established that changes need to be made, um, I think one of the mistakes that often happens uh, with uh, t- teachers and coaches is we have to remember to ask the question, uh, is, is this individual willing to make the changes and what changes are they willing to make? Um, you know, some, some students we, we've all dealt with that uh, certainly are, are all up for a complete makeover, if you will. 
and then other students that maybe don't want to, uh, you know, mess with what they've got, but they just want a quick tip or two to, to sort of help navigate around the course. So, Brandon, um, what do you do in that area there, you know, when it comes to, to actually making the changes? How do you um, assess the situation with your students and say, we can make some changes here. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to spend the time and commit? What are some of the questions that you're going to ask them uh, to get them to think about that? Wow. Uh <laughs> I know it's a lot. <laughs> I, well, well, I, I just, you know, it's, it's. So I was taught very early on, right? I always have this standard question that I ask people when I when I see them for the first time. I work at a, I work at a country club, um, but our range and our learning center is open to the public. So I get a good mix of of members that I know personally, um, yeah. and, and people that come in that are looking to do longer term, you know, uh, improvement kind of programs and so I get a good taste of both I kind of have this this standard definition or, or standard question that I ask people to, to answer when they come to my tea and that's if I had a magic wand and I could wave it around right now and we would be you know an hour would just fast forward and we'd be to the end of this hour what do you want to get out of this mm-hmm. what are you looking to get from me in the hour that you're paying for and I get the gamut of answers Right. Sure. And, and the guy that the guy, you know, the, and I'm sure John will, will laugh and agree when he hears this consistency is probably the number one. You know, I need to hit it a little farther is number two. The problem with that is there really is no such thing as consistency, meaning this game is all about being able to adapt to an ever changing environment and an ever changing golf swing, in my personal opinion. Right. And so I have to have this conversation about, well, what's you know, what's consistency? I don't, I don't care where your ball curves or, or what it does i just care about whether or not you know it's going to do that and so then we got to go into the conversation about why and then once we figure that out it becomes about what to do instead that's a tough one it's a tough one because um people people don't always appreciate what it takes to change the habits that you're talking about or that you ask about in the in the, the, the previous question and so it requires a lot of work and I don't necessarily mean a lot of time hitting balls. I mean a lot of time doing away with fear, which was an excellent point that John made, getting getting past the idea that a mistake is not a mistake. It's an opportunity to realize you did something that wasn't ideal for what you were trying to do, and it's an opportunity to learn to do something different. Uh, and, and it takes a little bit of time to just keep doing it and keep experiencing it. And, and, and so people don't often – People don't often give that enough credit and give it enough respect on the time it takes. Sometimes you get people that say, look, I'm going to Pebble Beach next week, and I'm shanking it. Help. As a golf instructor, those are tough lessons for me to give because I know that whatever I tell them will be fleeting at best. I I can get them out of the shanks, but they're going to have the shanks next week or next month or whenever they, they pick the golf club up again because they haven't given it that time. And so I, I feel like it's malpractice of me to not at least mention that to them. You know, or Mr. Jones, I, I understand you're going on your golf trip. I'll do what I can to help, but you need to understand this is, you know, like putting a Band-Aid over a gushing wound. This is not really fixing <laughs> anything. Uh, I need you to come back and see me and let me talk a little bit more in detail about the pattern of motion that's causing the shank or whatever it is, and we can talk about how to fix it moving forward so you're not right here in front of me next year before your golf trip. I I think you have to have that conversation with them, Um, but, you know, it's that that whole idea of giving them – got to give them a little bit of what they want before you can really give them what they need. 
sometimes right. sometimes you got to give them that quick fix to show them that you can, and then they're a little more open to having conversation of what it might look like if they invest some time and resources into making movement pattern changes. Yeah, uh, and that's that's an interesting point because you're you're exactly right. I think a lot of people. Um, sometimes coming in are a little bit skeptical. You know, they've been playing the way they have for a long time, and they don't know how to, to fix it. And you know, so they they want a little help, but they don't want to risk the chance that you know if they have a major overhaul, that it's going to make their game worse than what it currently is. So they're they're very apprehensive. And, and John, I want to just twist this just uh, just a, a little bit here on the same uh, thought here. As I, I started off the question with, you know, a lot of pros sometimes don't ask the question. Um, you know, is the student willing to make the change? And a lot of times just insist that the changes be made. Um, but if the student's really not willing to, to commit to those changes, then it's really a waste of time, uh, not only for the student, but also for the instructor. So, uh, again, this goes back to the initial assessment and, and conversations that an instructor needs to have with their students to make sure what they want to get out of the lessons and what they want to, uh, what their, you know, short and long-term goals are. So, again, let's sort of wrap that uh that question up if we can a little bit, John, from, from that perspective. Sure. I I would tell you, I think Brandon would agree from that consistency statement. <clears throat> Normally a great golf coach is going to be able to size up the student three to four or five questions, watching nonverbal cues, uh, listening to the questions and trying to put the pattern, the lifestyle pattern together without ever asking, Hey, are you committed or not? There's obvious commitments where you have the elite athlete trying to make a team or trying to win a tournament, or maybe the not-so-elite athlete but still has the same kind of goals. And you know right up front that these people are more committed, and you don't have to ask the question. The other third, it's obvious. They're not there to do anything other than get the quick fix, the Band-Aid, the fleeting moment. And if you see them again, great. If not, no big deal. The the questions you're talking about tend to fall into that middle third, trying to figure out the variance of commitment. Is it a day? Is it a week? Is it once a month? Is it every day of the month? Uh, how many hours is it? Do they understand what it takes to improve or change or create, I should say, one new habit? Uh, if you talk to rehab specialists, and a great example mm-hmm. of this is Rosie Greer, who played for the Colts and the Rams, chronic alcoholic, was forced by the Rams to go to rehab. And in the late 1960s, groundbreaking rehab, where he was forced into a room with things to do with his hands. And what came out of that was he's now a world-famous artist using crochet, macrame, knitting, that kind of thing as art. Right. And here's the meanest meanest guy on the planet football wise but here he is a meek and mild guy as an artist he learned that through learning that he had to fix a habit and that habit was not necessarily putting the alcohol through his body it was taking his hand to his mouth and how do you change that and if you talk to rehab specialists based on that and further scientific study 21 days, one hour, 21 consecutive days, and you can ingrain a new habit. These new habits, as Brandon said, replace the old. The old always stay there. So as we're asking these questions, what what I'm trying to figure out as a coach, and I'm sure Brandon's doing the same thing as you are, Ted, Mm -hmm. if, if I put 
energy and effort and time and commitment into this student, what not only are they going to get out of their experience with me, but what are they going to do after I'm gone, when I'm not around? Right. And you right. have to tailor that to that particular person. You can weed out the top third. You can weed out the bottom third. It's that middle third we're talking about here that isn't necessarily a gray area. If you're if you're understanding how people learn, you're asking the right questions, you're observing. But most importantly, that student in front of me is being <clears throat> honest. If, if you're not yeah. honest with yourself, you're just fooling yourself. So you have to be honest with your coach. So if you're in that middle third, so we can give you something that makes sense short-term, you feel some improvement, makes sense long-term to where, as Brandon said, hey, it's all about movement patterns, and here's some things that long-term is going to help you out so you don't have to come see me as often. Right, and that's a great uh... – you know, a great story to really to sort of draw that analogy uh, about Rosie Greer. Um, that was a very interesting story to, to share with the with the listeners here because it, it is true. And, and John, you also raise another point too, as, as Brandon has. Um, you know, change can come easy if the student's also willing to make that commitment. I mean, we as as teacher professionals, coaches uh, can certainly you know work really magic in many ways. Um, with with some positive changes, but if the student's just going to go home and and not sort of work on their own on some of the the different techniques and fundamentals and and uh, drills that may be given to them, then it, it's not going to to show any sort of measurable results. And this, of course, adds to the frustration. Uh, I want to approach this, John. Take a deep breath here because um, I'm going to start with you this time. So take a deep breath or two and uh, and. Uh, and, and then I'll call on you in here in just a second. But um, the, the third principle is, you know, obviously we talked to just about uh, the willingness to change. Um, but here's something that has to be considered as well, and that's principle number three, and that's the student must be able to make the change. In other words, uh, some students just aren't physically capable of making some of the changes that may be required. Um, what do we do in a case like that, John, um, where we've got a student, we've identified some changes, they're just – maybe due to their physical ineptness or, or what have you, um, or, or un, unable to understand what's needed to be done, just are not physically able to, to accomplish that. How do we navigate around that and still maybe accomplish the same goals, or can we? It can be done uh, from an instruction standpoint of view, again, asking the right questions. Are you physically impaired? Do you have any issues I need to know about uh, that are going to prohibit you from doing certain things the way you want it done is the way I phrase it. Uh, I don't ever want people to feel like it's me and my highway or get off the highway. It's actually the opposite. It's my, it's my clientele's highway, but I want to make sure that they, they're in the right car to drive that highway is the best way to put it. And then the second most logical thing I can tell you there is I'm very honest with people. The more educated, the more experienced I've become as a coach, the more honest I am to, you know what, you don't have the course stability to get back that far or to move through as fast as you want or you're imbalanced right to left side or whatever the case may be. And I have them understand that because if if I'm not having them understand that in, a, in an empathetic way, then I'm basically – 
in sort of a nasty way scamming them. I'm trying to have them believe that they can do something that I know they can't. And I'd rather them know that there's still possibility, but in order for that possibility to manifest itself, you have to understand what's going to be required. So I'll give you the, the best example I can give you. And Brandon, you, you may see this with the, with the people that pop in there, not necessarily the better athletes you teach, but most people can't finish a swing. Their, their belt buckles facing in a direction that's not towards the target. And, that has more to do with hamstring and glute flexibility versus them being able to turn or having their arms turn their body kind of thing, which is what most people think it ought to be. So if I see that and give them enough exercises and and pats on the back and positive reinforcement, yet it's still not happening. I have zero problem going to them and saying, you know what, here's what I see. I'm not an expert at this, but I do see, I do know what I'm looking at, and I can refer you to someone if you really want to make that change. If that's something you don't want to do, then let's work within this limitation to get you where you want to go with the caveat of being there's going to be a limit as to how far you go, and that limit's based on what your limits are. And 100% of the time, people understand it, mainly because I'm being transparent. It's real critical that the student be transparent with him or herself for that agreement to take place. If you're not honest with yourself, that your core is not stable enough, or your left side's not strong enough, or you're imbalanced, or whatever it is, again, you're fooling yourself. Don't fool yourself. It's not you're wasting your time. And I've been I've refunded people because I felt like they were. Uh, right. It's it's not. This isn't rocket science. It's all about having fun. I'd rather teach you how to have fun with with your limitations and have you accept them versus ignore them or even try to negatively enforce things upon those limitations. That could be hurtful both short and long term in a lot of ways. Yeah, that, that's a, that's some great points. And, and Brandon, I want to I want to sort of play off of what John just said about, you know, the, the fun component um, with at the same time, of course, keeping in, in, uh, in theme with, with the question that I asked, um, you know, a lot of players out there that maybe just don't have for whatever the reasons, maybe John uh, named a few examples, um, maybe just don't have the physical capacity to make the change, but mentally they haven't sort of wrapped their, their mind. And, and, and I use this the example particularly with older golfers that maybe don't have the physical ability that they once did, um, you know, the glute strength, the mid-core uh, strength, that sort of thing, um, aren't able to finish the swing uh, as well as they should, but they want to still be able to play like they did in their 20s. So, so they're going to be kind of pushing and, and wanting uh, some help to do that. Um, what do we do in a case with, with players like that? You know, obviously, ultimately, we want them, as John said, to get out there and have some fun. Um, do we allow them to continue their stubbornness, and, and, or do we try to guide them in, in to be into a more realistic phase of, of, of their golf game? Well, you know, I, I, think, I think you always have to try to guide them. I think part of our job as the person that they are depending on and looking to to be their golf guy, if you will, you've mm-hmm. got to try to guide them. Uh, I think you've got to, you've got to try to offer 
the option, you know, here are the exercises, here are the stretches, here are the whatever. I'm with John. I don't have any expertise in that. I, I know enough to be dangerous, which is why I avoid it. And so, you know, <laughs> I, look, I can refer you to the guy here at the club or to the guy down the street right. that has some knowledge in this. He and I can talk together about what I need your body to do or what you need your body to do for golf, and then he can help you. I think I think we have to try. More often than not, it has been my experience in the in the arenas that I've taught in. Most of the time, people just don't do a lot of that. Now, I know there are guys that run, you know, nice academies and deal with excellent athletes all the time. The guys are all in. You know, you give them an exercise program, and they'll do it. At my <clears> club, <throat> they don't do it. Okay, they just right. don't. Um, and I don't blame them for it, right? I mean, they're 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 working, they're trying to get better at golf. They just don't do it. And and, and John, I hope you don't string me up when I say this. But I got to be honest with you. When 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 they start having those when they start having those issues going on, and they're not willing to do what they need to do to get their body better, then as an instructor, I got to start going off script a little. I got to start do doing too. things that you that you won't find in books doing things that you won't find in videos or you won't hear about on the golf channel. I mean, you know, I got to start doing some things that are going to allow them to hit it solidly or, or as close to as solidly as we can get it, get it up in the air a little bit and try to get them to where they can at least move it in the direction of the target and have some fun, you know, and, and the things that if I said in a Facebook forum, man, I'd be tarred and feathered, right? How in the world as an instructor are you going to teach a guy to hang back on his back leg and sweep it off the ground and flip his hands at it. Well, if he's got a bum left knee and he's got a bad left hip and he can't sit on his left leg and rotate and hit down and compress, then that's the only way he can get it up in the air. So if he wants to play golf and he's paying me to get him better, you better believe I'm going to let him hang back and teach him how to put it in the back of his stance and sweep and throw, right? I mean, you won't read that in a magazine, but that's the only way the guy can get it in the air. And so – I think at some point as instructors, you've got to be willing to go in a direction that is a little bit counterintuitive to what you teach most people because these people have, you know, some of these restrictions and they either don't have the time or resources or desire to do anything about them from a physical standpoint. They're paying you to get them better at golf. And so I'm with John. You know, you either do what you have to do to get them better or you reach a point where you're like, look, here's your money back. I, you know, I, I don't feel like you're getting a whole lot out of this. I don't want to waste your time. It's not fair for you to pay me for wasted time. But, you know, let's just move on. And I think right. eventually it comes to that point. Yeah, and that, that's that's an excellent point. And it, and, it, and it goes to a conversation that we've had here. And, and John, I think you might have been on this. We, we've talked about over, over the last uh, few years uh, about this very thing, um, you know, about – putting everybody in sort of the same box you know everybody is different i think one thing that the the coaches and the teaching professionals out there they're seeing it in real time they're seeing what's really happening out there and a lot of times and again this is not to criticize uh, any forum but you know sometimes when we when we see things on the golf channel or we see things in some of the publications um you know even though they're professing to teach to the masses a lot of times they're 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 going off a generic template if you will and not everybody brandy just gave an excellent example i mean somebody that maybe has a bum left knee or or um maybe some of our our wounded veterans that are coming over here that have you know had the uh, misfortune of of losing a a limb or part of a limb 
uh, now have to make physical adjustments to, to be able to uh, continue to play. And that may be, um, you know, leaning more onto their left side or right side, depending on the circumstance. And, and so we have to make those adjustments. And, you, and you're exactly right, both of you, that, uh, you know, if the students are not willing to make the adaptions and the changes that are necessary, then there does have to come a point in time that, uh, you know, we would love to work with you, but, you know, if you're not willing to, to sort of make that commitment uh, and, and be realistic about the changes that need to be made and be willing to make that commitment back as well, then, you know, we're just sort of like two uh, gears running in the opposite direction. We're just grinding all the time, and it's not beneficial. Let me me preface and and temper that a little bit. I I think everybody listening should understand that we know when you come to us, you are willing. Sure. People are willing because they they called us and set the appointment and they showed up, and, and they're there wanting some guidance. And it is our job to do that. And that's why what we're saying right now is, hey, are you or aren't you willing? I saw a lot of times, correct me if I'm wrong, Brandon or Ted, a lot, of, a lot of times that unwillingness manifests itself in that first hour lesson based on, wow, I didn't know this is what it was going to take. Yeah. And And I think for us as instructors, when we're able to soften that blow a bit, that here's one thing, just just do this one thing. It makes it a little bit simpler. It softens the blow of willingness and unwillingness and creates that moment of excitement to where they may, they, they may have gone through this emotional turmoil in their heart going, man, I'm not, I'm not going to devote this much time. I can't do it. I've got a wife. i got a kid. i got jobs, I got two mortgages, I got to do this, I got to do that. But if you get them to do that one simple little thing that accomplishes what it is that they're after, we as coaches have succeeded. You, the you, the student, you, the person who comes to see Brandon, Ted, and I, be willing to accept that that one thing may be your nirvana that gets you to your utopia. That right. That's the that's the spur of willingness that you need. It doesn't have to be as bad as it sounds. All it takes is this one small little thing that can provide the willingness, provide the inspiration for you to, okay, I got three kids, they're all at soccer practice, let me go hit some balls down the street, I'm not going to miss much kind of thing. You'll find a way, but don't just block it out because it sounds too difficult or doesn't fit. You made the effort to come see us. Keep an open mind. If you're unwilling, let us know. Most good coaches are going to let you know what that one simple thing is. Right. Well, well said. And and uh, you know, again, we certainly want to encourage those t- uh, tuning into the show tonight. Um, you know, we want you to come out and, and connect with us, and we we certainly are, are very eager and willing to help you in any way we can. Um, you know, all we're really trying to say is, you, number one, you have to be realistic with your goals. You have to decide first off what your goals are. Um, but then this is where the discussion part comes in with, with your, uh, your local teaching professional or coach that you're, you're working with, is there needs to be that dialogue and discussion up front. Decide what, what your goals are. Talk about your goals. What steps need to be taken uh, 
to reach to help you reach some of those goals and are you willing to to put in some time and effort to do that but at the same time john you raised a, a great point sometimes it can be just one issue or one tweak um that can sort of ignite that passion to help them to want to continue on and and we have to be willing to uh, to do that as well and sometimes um i think that we have to be careful that we don't sort of impose our own will uh, on the student as well um, you know, when we see somebody in there coming in that maybe just wants to do some minor changes that we don't get too aggressive uh, uh, either and, uh, and, and do that. Um, I, I want to talk about just here in sort of the, the, the last uh, few minutes, we've got about 20 minutes left here, guys, um, is, is two areas. Um, and, and this can be certainly apply certainly on the practice team. Uh, Brandon, I'm going to go to you. But obviously this is more of a playing, actual playing uh, circumstance. But um, there's actually three, but we're not going to have time to do all three. The first one, of course, is confidence, the first principle. Um, I think we understand that. Obviously, through repetition and through uh, you know, playing more often, we're, we're going to build some confidence. But concentration is something that a lot of amateurs uh, have difficulty with. Um, they're, they're just not able to concentrate. And I'm not just talking about you know, on the first tee, and maybe there might be some, some people coming up in golf carts and that, but they're just not able to focus and concentrate at the task at hand. Um, what are some things, Brandon, that you do, and then, John, I want you to, to chime in as well, that you do to help your students um, with that area of their game and, and being able to focus and concentrate on the tasks at hand? Well, that's an easy question. I thought you were going to ask what can't we concentrate on and can't yeah. get done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brandon? Well, I, I, here's what I would say. I, I would tell you that that process starts by helping them to understand what they should be concentrating on because I, I think a lot of people in our game misconstrue what it means to concentrate and have no concept whatsoever of how or what to actually concentrate on. The best in the world are the best. They can turn it on when they need to, when they need to analyze lie, when they need to analyze wind, when they need to read a yardage, when they need to, you know, visualize a shot, and then right before they pull the trigger, they can turn it off and they can go. Because when when you tell when you tell most amateur golfers, not all, but most amateur golfers to concentrate, then you find them standing over the golf ball for about 35 seconds, thinking of goodness knows what before they pull the trigger. And that's not what I would want when I would try and get someone yeah, to concentrate. So I, I think I think you have to be real careful when you when you tell people, "Hey, concentrate on it," right? Because then it it, it tenses everything we, up and locks everything down. Sorry, did you say something there, Ted? Sounds like we lost Ted, Brandon. Right, I lost a little bit of that, uh, Brandon, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, no, we're here. I was just I was just making the point that you have to be careful when you tell folks to concentrate because it ends up introducing a lot of tension. And so con- concentration and focus yep. is about realizing what your task at hand is, analyzing the circumstances around the golf shot, you know, figuring out what club to play. At that point, concentration's over and it's go time. Right, I'll give you a real quick analogy. Right, imagine I put out 30 feet worth of uh, six six inch wide board. Okay, very mm-hmm. easy to walk across that board if I put if I put 30 feet of it over the grass and ask you to walk from one end to the other 
you know, without touching the ground, you could do it no problem. Agreed? I put that yep. six-foot board now over a 3,000-foot canyon. And I say to the guy that's about to step over, now concentrate, Jimmy. Jimmy's got no chance. Jimmy's going to fall to his death at the bottom of that canyon. On a simple task that he could yeah. do without, you know, while he was chewing gum and tapping his head. Uh, but but I told him to concentrate, and now I've introduced tension into a system that can't operate in the presence of tension. And so I, I, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but that would be my that would be my no. answer is be careful what you concentrate on, so that you don't concentrate too long and too much on trying to move when when that concentration will kill that movement. Right. Um, and one of the others that that's that's uh, well said again, uh, Brandon. Um, John, I, I think Brandon's right, and we don't need to to go into it too uh, in depth here because um, I think he pretty much summed it up. But but obviously, you know, golfers need to, to have some sort of uh, focus or concentration on on the tasks at hand. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I, I totally agree with Brandon, and I'm going to pick up where he left off real quickly. When you get Jimmy or whatever his name is to walk that six-inch board across a canyon, what's what's become the difference? It's become that fear, the fear of falling. And the concentration has now become concentrated on the fear versus the task at hand, which is more or less a success story should you complete it. So one of the examples I give my students, and I've actually did this for a year. I was at a golf school, and I had a small little 12-by-12 classroom that was part of a bigger building. And when it rained, I'd go in and and do this experiment. I'd ask people if they were right or left-handed. And at the time, I was playing a lot of pub darts in in competitive leagues. So I had a dartboard up in my room, and I'd ask them, are you left or right-handed? And if they were right-handed, I'd give them darts, and I'd ask them to throw the dart at the board. Just throw it at the board. And if four out of ten hit the board, I was lucky. There was a whole lot of marks on that wall when I left that golf school. <laughs> I took my dart board down. But the the point of the matter here is it's, it expands upon that board analogy that Brandon just used that give you a simple task, yet it's different or you're fearing that you can't do it with a weaker part of your body, where does your concentration go to? And it's similar in a golf swing. It'll go to, well, how do I hold this start? How do I throw this start? And how do I do this and how do I do that? When you're concentrating in golf on those things, how can you focus? And there is a difference between concentration and focus. So if I, I would go back to these same people and say, you know what? I want you to think of one thing and one thing only. Hit the bullseye. And when they did that, all ten darts would hit the board. And most of them would be inside the triple circle. The difference being there, if you ask Jimmy on the six-inch beam to walk 30 feet over a canyon, do you tell him to look down and concentrate on the board? No, you have him look forward. That's what waiters and waitresses do with full trays of drinks. They're they're not thinking about the tray of drinks. They're looking forward. Where am I going with this thing? And all they're trying to do is balance it. I think when it comes to concentration and asking people to concentrate on something, the simpler you make it, the better and more highly focused you make it, the better, especially when it comes to 
visual sensation because when you do that, it, it takes the mind off of the process and allows the body to execute the plan that you're already capable of doing, whether you realized it or not. Yeah, and that, that's a that's a great follow up as well, John. And that sort of leads into the last. And, and I mean, you pretty much both of you pretty much kind of covered a lot of it um, on this third point, and that's uh, anxiety control. Obviously, a lot of people have anxieties, uh, very nervous on the golf course, especially uh, as I said earlier, coming up to the first tee, uh, or even in the final uh, holes of a tournament. Um, you know, maybe they're not quite as confident as they were earlier in the round because they're they're in contention. Um, so things like breathing regularly, staying you know uh, physically loose, and, and sort of maintaining uh, in the mindset, if you will, their pre-shot routine when it comes applicable, I think are some great points as well. Um, just very quickly on, on both because we're, we're almost out of time. But uh, Brandon, uh, on anxiety, uh, again, same thing. It boils down to sort of hand in hand with concentration. Uh, some players get a little bit uh, anxious in that when they're when they're getting out and playing on a golf course. Uh, any thoughts or advice that you'd like to give uh, the listeners out there on how they can uh, better adapt to uh, handle their anxiety? Yeah, I, 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 here's what I would say. I, I would tell you that, that anxiety, in, in my opinion, a lot of times stems from someone who reacts to each shot as they see it. Here's what I mean by that. There are lots of ways to make a four. Okay, I, I played, I don't care to tell you, I'll embarrass myself a little. I played a par five the other day. I topped my driver, and when I say topped, I mean Cole topped it. Topped my driver, topped a three wood, topped a second three wood, hit a seven iron fin about 40 yards over the green, knocked a sand wedge up there to five inches and tapped it in for five. And wow. so I walked away with the same score as a guy who hit the perfect drive the perfect layup, hit the perfect sandwich in there, and just barely whipped the birdie putt out and made five. Anxious people tend to, or, or, or people that get anxious, are anxious a lot of times because they're reacting to the fact that they made a poor golf swing with a driver or they made a poor golf swing with the three-wood. And, and to John's point of the waiter looking where they're, where, where they're walking, they lose sight of what they're trying to do. Suddenly it becomes right. less about making par and more about making a better golf swing. And they get anxious because they're worried if they don't do something to make a better motion, they'll make another bad motion. And they ultimately end up do, you know, that's exactly what they ultimately end up doing. And then the, the cycle just gets worse and worse and worse. And so my, my suggestion to you would be, Keep, keep your eyes on the prize, if you will, uh, you know, on what you're trying to accomplish, which is trying to get it in the hole. I, it doesn't really matter how. There, golf is not an art contest. It's a math problem, right? Right. And so if you can if you can get your, you know, you can keep yourself out of the mud of how I hit this particular golf shot relative to what I thought I was supposed to do, then you'll have a lot less anxiety. And so that, that, that would be my piece of advice. Uh, again, well said, Brandon. Thank you, uh, John. Uh, some anxious people out there. Uh, I know we all work with them, myself included. Um, you know, they got anxiety about a, maybe uh, a, their tournament that they're coming in, the, the uh, club championship, and um, we got to help them out. What can we do? Totally agree with Brandon with the word react. 
you're you're reacting, and golf is not a reaction sport; it's an action sport. So when you look at the thespians and all the great actors of Hollywood, what do they do? They rehearse. They put themselves in the position of being anxious, of being nervous, of rehearsing what is be, they're being called upon to do. So when the director says, action, it's their turn to hit the shot, they're ready to go. So you gotta you got to put yourself in the moment a little bit more often. You've got to practice that a little bit more often, whether it's on the range or on the golf course. And the other thing, the, the second thing I'd add to this, I get in trouble saying this phrase a lot, but it's true. It could be worse. Think about right. it. It's golf. It's fun. It's a game. It could it could be a whole lot worse. Let's put it in, in perspective here. Right. You know, if you're if you're not if you are reacting and you're not practicing in the heat of the moment expectation. You're expecting all this to happen. I have a phrase, expectation leads to one thing and one thing only, failure. Because it's a it's a goal that you have no plan to reach. So you're just sort of sitting back going, why isn't this happening? And then you do get stuck in the muck, per se, uh, like Brennan was saying, of how do I hit this perfect shot to get to recover versus keeping par in play. And par isn't necessarily five for Brandon on that hole. Maybe his personal par that day due to an injury or he had a really tough day at work is six. If he keeps that in mind, all of a sudden, say again. I said easy. Don't be, don't be knocking. You know, I can still scream a five no, now. No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. knocking. Brand, Brandon's Brandon's par should be four on that. Also, there we but, go. There we go. But keep your personal par in there, and just realize, you know what? It could be a whole lot worse. It, right. You could be, you could be six feet under. Let's let's not let's not explode this out of proportion here. A, you're reacting. B, what have you done to prepare yourself so you're not reacting, but you're acting? And I think if you can put yourself in those kinds of positions during your practice time, more often than just trying to be a ball striker, you're going to play better golf. Yeah. Yeah. Well said, uh, guys, both of you. Um, Guys, I want to thank you for for coming on again, Coach's Corner. I I enjoyed it. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm, I guess, gearing up for into the new year uh, as we boil time, we're just propelling quite fast through this year, but – is really sort of stepping outside of the box a little bit in, in some of the conversations that we had, you know, earlier on, you know, when I first started coach's corner, of course, um, you know, I had some questions coming in and that, but uh, one of the problems is, you know, after a while they become a little bit generic and, and I really wanted to get into, uh, you know, some people might be wondering, well, that's a little bit deep conversation and, you know, how's it helping my golf game? But the truth of the matter is it's not all about swing mechanics. It's not all about, um, ball contact. There's other areas as well that have to be discussed and have to be understood. And as golf uh, professionals and golf coaches, um, we have to be willing to have some of these conversations, um, you know, with our students and, and with our players um, for them to really understand. And, and as John and Brand, both of you pointed out, you know, we want you to have fun when you go out there. And if you're, you know, sort of all bollocked up in your mind about not, you know, having that perfect golf swing out there. And, and you know, Brandon, you had a, a great example there uh, just a moment ago. You know, you went out there and, and played with your, your, um, your partner there and, and uh, you know, managed to salvage uh, par after hitting some some not uh, less than perfect golf shots, 
And uh, despite your, your partner hitting some great golf shots, you both walked away with the same score. So, you know, you don't have to be perfect out in the golf course. You're going to have some, some bad swings here and there or some bad results um, in your golf shot. But the bottom line is it's how you score uh, at the end of the day is really what's important. And obviously you want to have fun. And the, the more fun that you have, I think the better you're going to score and the less anxiety that you're going to have as well. Um, again, guys, thank you very much for, for coming on. Uh, we're going to get even even into more in-depth conversations as we navigate uh, uh, the coaches' corners uh, in the next uh, few months, and particularly in the new year. We're really going to get into some uh, some a little higher learning, if you will, uh, for our students out there, for those that uh, have been asking for it. So, um, Brandon and John, thank you again for for coming on tonight. Um, keep doing the great things that you guys are doing, and I look forward to having you guys back. John, real quick, how can the folks uh, reach out uh, for those that want to get in touch with you? JohnHughesGolf.com or John at JohnHughesGolf.com. Email me. Be more than happy to help anybody out. Perfect. Uh, Brandon, you as well? Yeah, BSGolf.com. No pun intended. That stands for Brandon Stickberry, <laughs> not the other BS. Uh, <laughs> BSGolf.com. You can get me there. Uh, and then just Golf at gmail.com. It's a little funny last name, but uh, you just type in Golf in Google, and it'll get you all you need. Perfect. Guys, again, thank you very much for, for joining me on the Coach's Corner. As always, it's a pleasure and uh, an honor to have uh, some great professionals on here with me. So uh, until next time, uh, enjoy uh, your weekend. Thanks, Ted. John, Ted, thanks, man. It was fun. Yep. All right. Thanks, guys. Okay, that was my very special guest on the Coach's Corner panel. Uh, John Hughes, of course, PJ Master Professional, and Brandon Stukesbury, the Director of Instruction at Prestigious Idle Hour Club uh, in Macon, Georgia. Two great professionals. Uh, always uh, fun to have them on here. But we're moving right along here. As I mentioned, I have a very special guest. I'm going to tell you a little bit about him in just a moment or two. Um, I want to do something a little bit different tonight uh, on the show. And actually, we're going to be doing it this week and next week as well. And I'll tell you uh, again real quickly about that. Um, I've invited sort of an, what I would classify as an outsider to the golf industry, uh, even though he's working diligently, diligently excuse me, to help uh, many people in the golf industry. Uh, he's not a golf professional. He's not a teach professional or even a club professional. Uh, he's a, an entrepreneur, a businessman for many, many years, worked in other industries, but he's taken that knowledge, that vast experience that he's gathered over the years uh, and has sort of put it in place. And we're going to talk about here in part one of tonight's show uh, with, with my special guest, we're going to talk about uh, the seven tips to grow your golf business. So uh, even though this is for everybody, uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, many of you in the golf business, whether you're a club owner, a teacher professional, or business owner uh, in the golf industry. We're going to be talking about some of the tips to help grow your business. And then part two next week, uh, which is the 15th, of course, next Thursday, uh, we're going to talk about people and relationship building tips that you can use and develop as well for your business. So uh, two great uh, uh, series, uh, if you will, and uh, my special guest, uh, Peter Willis, who is the president and founder uh, of his company, the Willis Organization, is here to uh, join me here, and he's just waiting in the wings. So let me just tell you a little bit about his background so you have an idea, a better understanding of, of who he is and, and why he's coming on tonight. Uh, Peter works with business owners and, and business in the golf industry to help them improve uh, their overall sales performance. Uh, his mission is to support and help individuals and teams achieve their personal and business goals and grow the game uh, at the same time. 
he achieves this mission as president and founder of the company, uh, the Willis Organization, as I mentioned. And over the past 25 years, Peter has worked with a wide range of clients, entrepreneurial businesses, startups, individuals, and larger companies such as Konica Minolta, uh, Shell Oil, Motorola Philips, uh, Sharp, and Herman Miller. Uh, but before establishing the Willis Organization, Peter had, as I mentioned, a variety, uh, a varied uh, career. I began selling a career while in public education, but quickly moved to the corporate world, uh, first with uh, Xerox and then uh, later with uh, Lanier and then Price Waterhouse Coopers. Uh, there he held a number of sales, sales and operational management, marketing and training positions, uh, gaining the experience needed to strike out uh, on his own business, of course, the Willis uh, organization. Uh, because Peter believes so strongly that increasing sales is key to uh, business growth and improved performance, he and his team recently created and introduced a new online product, which we'll talk about as well, uh, called uh, Go for the Green Selling Challenge. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that in a, in a little while. Uh, it links the fun of golf to selling in a whole new uh, way. Uh, with the challenge, users uh, learn and improve their selling uh, skills in practice. Then they can head off to play and test their skills, uh, selling skills on a virtual golf course. Uh, and I'll tell you how you can get in touch with Peter if you want to learn more information about that as well. But in the meantime, let me welcome my very special guest, Mr. Peter Willis. Good evening, Peter. Hi, Ted. Hi, how are welcome. you? I'm doing very well. Welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live. Well, thanks very much, and it, it's great to be here, and and thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, it looks like I'm in great company tonight. Uh, your previous guests, John and Brandon, are a couple of real pros, and I enjoyed hearing their messages because their messages on coaching relate to a lot of the things that I do. And and, right. and I guess because – sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that, uh, as you said in your kind introduction, which I appreciated, because uh, selling and promoting are, are so important to growing our golf businesses, uh, it's really a treat for me to uh, be looking along with you at seven tips that we can use to increase sales to grow our golf businesses tonight and, of course, on next week's show. Um, and as you know, Ted, and we've talked before, uh, mm -hmm. speaking of selling, I always enjoy working with you because you and I share a lot of common beliefs about selling. And as you know, it's my big love. And, and here are right. three of them. First, no matter what our job title is or what we do, we're all in the selling game. Right. And second, nothing really happens in our business until someone sells something. Right. Exactly. And thirdly, <laughs> that's usually the case. And thirdly, right. selling is all about us being excited and getting people that we're selling excited and then working to build relationships with them. And I know that you share a lot of these same beliefs with me about selling and promoting, and you've applied them and done a wonderful job of using them to help and serve your audiences in, in the industry. Now, the, the tips we're going to talk about tonight and, and are, are really quick and simple and easy to understand. And they all work together, just like the components of our golf game. And best of all, right. I'm hopeful that your users can put them to work right away in their businesses. Right, uh, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah we it, want it, them to be practical. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, and, and the purpose of this, and, and I just want to sort of preface this a little bit again, if I can, for, for those tuning into Please the show. You know, I, I don't want them to misunderstand. We're, we're not here to sell you something. Um, you know, the idea of, of Peter and I's discussion tonight 
is, you know, I, I don't care how long you've been in, in business. There's always an opportunity to, to learn or relearn uh, some simple skills to be able to grow. And, and one of the reasons, Peter, I, I really wanted you on the show, and I know we had uh, many conversations leading up to tonight uh, about this, and I know, and, and I'm, I'm going to be quite honest with everybody, I know at first you had a little bit of concern because you weren't sure whether or not this was going to be a good fit for this particular program because obviously we're, we're talking golf a lot. But one of the reasons That's I right. wanted you on mm-hmm. the yeah, one of the reasons I wanted you on the show tonight, Peter, is this. Um, and as we've in our discussions had, you know, in the golf industry, one of the issues that's really happened, especially with with the economy that it's the way it's been over the last uh, ten or so years, um, a lot of courses out there have struggled and have really gotten to the point where um, some of them, unfortunately, are no longer with us. But uh, many, what they've done is they've they've sort of given away the store. They've forgotten sort of the principles that that. Uh, are involved right. in selling consumers, and what they've done is sort of gone to a, a, a slash and, and you know, the prices and, and sort of giving away the shop, if you will, and sort of reduced their, their, their bottom line and as a result have, have not been successful. So this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get an outsider. I didn't want to get somebody from the golf industry per se. I wanted to get an outsider that's got a lot of sales experience, that's worked obviously with major accounts and, and that, and to be able to talk about some of these things. So I, I want us to sort of jump in here because I've got limited time. Um, to talk about uh, this tonight, and I want to get into a little bit more bones, if you will, uh, about these uh, seven tips. So I'm going to start off, uh, Peter, and just uh, sort of spoon-feed you uh, some of the tips here, and then <laughs> right ahead, sort of get yeah. into a little bit more detail. Um, um, obviously, our tip number one is there's three uh, Ps for, for business performance, uh, preparation, planning, and people determine success of your business. I want you to sort of go through each of them, Peter, and just tell a little bit about why those uh, three P's are important. Great. Okay. Uh, Well, all three of them work closely together, and they really come before any real sales activity or interaction begins, Ted. Um, And to explain them, I always like to put some fun in them and and link them, obviously, to golf. And, And that really makes them easy to remember. If you start with preparation, of course, in golf, once we're at the course and we're getting ready to play, most of, it's, most of us really do some loosening up and some quick stretching, then head off to the driving range and the putting green to get prepared. And right. really, it's the same with selling. Uh, we can get prepared for selling action ahead of time. And the way we do that is to create a quick checklist to make sure we've got all our data and all our information ready uh, that we're going to need to interact with the person we'll be talking to. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, with, with planning, it, it's kind of similar. Uh, with planning, when you arrive at the course, whether, we, whether we've played it before or we haven't, we'll want to have a plan or a, what I call a course strategy on how we are going to play it. And it's the same with selling. We're going to need a plan for every sales interaction. And I know, Ted, that sounds simple, and, I, and it really is, if we remember that our plan will often require adjustment and change because of what happens in the sales interaction. It's kind of like reacting to unpredictable weather on the course. They kind of fit the same way. Uh, Right. And and, and also, yeah. And also we, we have to have um, a willingness to adjust on, on how, uh, the golf industry, of course, is, is forever changing like many other industries. And, and that's why Absolutely. planning, it's not just preparing for, for now, but it's also preparing for future as well. Absolutely true. And, and I've always found that, that one of the huge benefits of being prepared with a plan 
uh, is it builds our confidence level immensely. I, I know that in my own selling activity, there's always a, a direct relationship between the results that I get and the preparation and the planning that I've done beforehand. Right, exactly. And, and, I, and it's the same thing in, in golf. Um, you know, as you, as you pointed out a moment ago, you know, if you've played the golf course before, you're, you're familiar with some of the lies or the lay of the land, if you will. Um, but it's always good to prepare. It's always good to um, prepare ahead of time, but it's also good to plan. Even when you get there, decide how you want to play the course, um, factor in where some of the trouble is. I mean, you don't want to focus on the trouble too much, but you want to have an understanding of where it is. So if you have a few minutes before, you want to uh, make a plan and make a game plan of how you're going to handle yourself out on the golf course. And by doing so, that's going to boost your confidence. And the same thing applies for those of you in business, as you pointed out as well, Peter, is you want to be able to um, better prepare and plan um, your 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 um, golf course um, for for new clients coming in. You want to have sort of a game plan for that as well, and how to draw more business in. One of the, as I pointed out earlier, one of the biggest mistakes, Peter, I think, is that a lot of the golf courses, in, in order to drum up business, and there's no problem in, in having, uh, you know, a situation where uh, you might want to give some discounts here and there, but if you're continually discounting uh, everything in the pro shop and, and the golf course, uh, the green fees and things like that, you're not going to make money to be able to sustain the operation. And, and that's something where good planning exactly. and preparation go hand in hand. Uh, exactly. And also there's people. The third P is people. There sure is. You bet. Well, you know, people is, is really what selling and golf are all about. Golf is really so personal that – Working with and and through people is how we really grow our businesses. And as you know, Ted, we'll be talking a whole lot more about this one next week in part two. Uh, right. Let's move on to tip two if you're ready. Yeah, I'm I'm exactly ready. Um, grab your goals is tip number two. Um, why we need them? Why do we need goals? Well, you you might be surprised. If, you know, I'll I'll kind of provide an answer in an indirect way, but you'll probably be surprised if I were to tell you and your audience that more than half the business people I coach and train out there have absolutely no answer when I ask them what they want to accomplish in a given sales interaction. And right. I think that's really the real purpose behind having a meaningful goal. And if you don't have one, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how you can get around all of this. And really, uh, you know, before we pick up the phone or we send out an email or a text or we head out to meet with someone personally, we're going to need to take a few minutes to really set a specific goal or target for what we want to accomplish. And, and, and really, goals are quite different. Uh, and, it, and the goals are different depending on who we're talking to, taking this back right. to the people side. You know, with our banker, for example, who we all love, uh, particularly when he loves us, our goal would be uh, <laughs> demonstrating a positive return on all the dollars that he's invested in our businesses. And more appropriately, with golfers, it's probably our goal is going to be selling the quality, uh, the features that are unique, and the challenges <clears throat> that are unique to the course. Um, so really, goals are, are, are super important. And, and, and what they really do, uh, as, as we're all aware, 
is it they really keep us in, in a sales interaction focused and on track so we can go, go about achieving the goal that we've set. And when we've got a goal, I always feel that we've, we've really got ourselves a benchmark for how we did in that sales interaction. And I guess more appropriately, what we need to do next. <clears throat> right. And, and there's a lot of programs out there now. There's some great computer programs out there that can help um, by monetizing and, and you know, following up on sales and things like that. Even in a pro shop, of course, you can monitor and see what's selling in your pro shop as an example. And you, you can obviously mm-hmm. uh, monitor, uh, you know, the number of players that are coming in, uh, playing the golf course week in, week out, day in, day out. So you can have an, a, a sort of a gauge uh, when your peak times are. Um, but I think a lot of people still have a difficult time in setting, uh, in setting their goals. So let's talk about setting the goals uh, quickly here if we can, but also uh, why and how goals, uh, goals differ um, for obviously golf and business. How do they, how do they differ um, and what should, be, what should sort of be the mindset for those in the golf industry particularly um, setting those goals? What do they need to be thinking? What are the things that you've taught uh, some of your business professionals out there you're working with, um, what they should be thinking about and saying, uh, pertaining to their golf business? Well, I, I think that goals really relate to results that we want to achieve. And whether we're, we're trying to improve the skills of our golf game and score better, or whether we're trying to improve our sales record uh, and make it better through performance, uh, I, I really think that, that it all centers around, when we start talking about goals, we're really talking about an end result and when we go to the golf course, obviously, we're looking to strut our stuff. We're looking to score better. If we've been working with a coach, sure. uh, we, we're going we're gonna to try to practice the things that he has been showing us in a lesson. And the, the guys right. that I've heard on your show that, that are <laughs> so good in this coach's corner, and I, I'm learning like crazy about the fundamentals and, and some things and some great suggestions from all the folks I've listened to in your coach's corner. What, what they're basically saying is um, we're going we're gonna to take components of your game and we're going to work with you to improve each of those components of your game or each of the skills in your game to get you a more positive result and also give you a whole lot more fun and enjoyment. You know, I, I'm a big believer in you really got to enjoy what you're doing out there, whether it's selling or playing golf. You really got to enjoy it, and you really got to have fun with it. Um, and if if you're in love with either, you're going to be able to do that very naturally. And I, I think that's that's really important. Obviously, scoring is important, and end result is important in both business and in and also in golf. But I think right. what it comes down to is performance improvement a better game, and results in both cases. Right, exactly. Um, well said. And, and I think to, you know, again, just to sort of recap real quickly, one of the reasons why, sure. you know, Peter, I wanted to have you on the show is I, I think that a lot of, um, particularly people in the golf industry, have focused a lot of their efforts and energy over the last um, several years on the technology side of golf. In other words, um, you know, having the latest gadgets in there, in their, in their uh, teaching facilities and, and coaching facilities yes. and, and really focusing on um, 
the swing mechanics and things like that. And I think they're starting to realize that not everybody out there cares about the numbers. Not everybody out there uh, is looking for the perfect golf swing. They just want to get out there and be able to play better and have more fun while doing that. So, you know, uh, we need to sort of re-educate, I think, uh, and we're certainly not going to do uh, everybody all at once, but I think there needs to be re-education of, of why they're there. I mean, they're there to certainly help, uh, you know, the, the golfers out there to have fun, uh, but they're also out there to grow their businesses. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted you on here, somebody that's, um, that, that, doesn't co- that isn't coming in with a biased opinion. Uh, you're coming out there with a lot of uh, industry uh, certainly knowledge in, in golf business, but at the same time, you're coming with outside in, uh, knowledge uh, as well, I think is important and key for some of our listeners out there tonight. Yeah, and, and, and you're, you're absolutely right. There's, there's no greater environment to do business than on the golf course because you've got, right. full attention for, you've got full attention for four hours or thereabouts, probably a lunch in there or whatever. Uh, you've got full and complete attention of whoever it is you are playing with and hoping to do business with it's uninterrupted uh and and it is way above and beyond what it would typically be in a more traditional selling environment or business environment the other thing that i Mm -hmm. think is really important is you've got your customer in a relaxed frame of mind you're out there there's nothing nicer than a sunny day out on the green enjoying the elements and enjoying playing and this is right. a great inv- – not only is the environment right, but his temperament is right too when you've got him on the golf course. Yep. You've got his undivided attention. He's relaxed. He's enjoying himself. He's having fun. He's in the right kind of environment. And I'll tell you, there's nothing better than having that set, that set of circumstances going for you in any selling situation. Um, and, and we talked about this, Peter, you and I, uh, off air in, in some of our yes. conversations. We sure and and we're going to get into yep. more of it. This is an area that we're going to get into more next week, I think, when we talk about relationships and yes. people in general. Um, because it's mm-hmm. not just applicable to the, the people in the golf profession. Um, we're also talking about some of the entrepreneurs out there, other um, executives and that, that uh, certainly want to use golf as a business tool. They've, some of them have been doing it for years. Some are just sort of new to the game. Uh, and want to know how they can sort of capitalize on that. And one of the uh, things that you just pointed out is, you know, in most sales calls, you're lucky if you've got 15, 20 minutes. Um, here you've that's got an true. opportunity to have them, you know, and that's if you're real lucky. I mean, you know, if, uh, you're lucky sometimes you can get past, <laughs> All the, past the receptionist. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, you want to be able to have an opportunity, and golf allows you to do that, um, allows you an opportunity, as you said, to have their undivided attention uh, for at least four hours, uh, depending on the circumstance, and as you said, maybe uh, navigate into a lunch as well, so you could have have them for even longer. This is a, a great opportunity for for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, you've got them for a much longer period of time. You're not only able to um, get a sense and a feel for that individual how they handle pressure situations. It, it gives you an opportunity, much like reading a green, reading your potential customer, uh, seeing how they handle certain situations, uh, how they handle pressure. Um, whether there's somebody that uh, is calm and relaxed and may be receptive to what you I think, Peter, let me just digress here for a second. I think one of the biggest mistakes and and missed missed opportunities that I think a lot of business people um, fail to understand, the golf course is not a place to engage in high-pressure sales tactics. Um, a lot of times what I see people get out on the golf course and right away they're, they're trying to sell their product or service 
uh, out there. And we're going to get into, again, a little bit more meat and bone, uh, meat and potatoes, if you will, next week in the conversation. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to, to mm-hmm. emphasize that because that's something that I think you know, we've probably both seen out there. This is an opportunity out in the golf course um, for the, the club professional that's, that's maybe taking some clients out there on the golf course, working them, to sort of use that opportunity to um, be able to get a better feel for their customer. Uh, what they like, what they don't like, how they react under certain situations. So they can make, a, 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 I guess, a game plan, if you will, on how they want to handle that. Some, you can be a mm-hmm. little bit more aggressive. Some, you have to back off a little bit. So this is where, um, you know, setting some goals of what you want to do and having an understanding of the differences in goals. Um, and, and we're going to move into tip three here as well, is knowing what que- uh, the right questions to ask. Um, so what are some of the, the questions that we need to be asking? Um, well, a lot of people to, ask. To, sure, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. A, a lot of people ask, you know, what are, what are right questions? And, and right. I suppose that really depends on what our goal is in the, in the interaction. Um, you know, for example, if our goal is, is business expansion, we're going to want to ask questions of our customers and our suppliers and probably mm-hmm. our advisors to get new ideas and opportunities for growing our business from all of them. Uh, if our goal is, is selling lessons, for example, the right questions there are those that will get us all the information we need to, to grab our goal, if you will, from before. So they'll focus around what specific skills the golfer is really looking to improve. So really, the right questions are the ones that match the need that you are trying to fulfill. And I think that's uh, universal, whether it's, as mm-hmm. I said in, in the examples, whether it's business, business expansion or it's, it's selling lessons or coaching. Um, our, our questions are going to really vary depending on what that goal is. And, and more importantly, who we're talking to. When you were talking about the golf course, I've always been right. of the opinion that it's hard to sell somebody when you don't really know them. And, and right. we're going to talk a lot about this next week. But you, you really have to understand what I call the anatomy of who you're playing with and who you're attempting yep. to sell. And if you can get inside that, I've always felt that if you can, if you can get to know them, and I mean really get to know them as people, mm. you can sell. If the, the opposite is, is very challenging. If you haven't mm-hmm. spent the time or the effort to try to get to know your prospective customer or buyer on his terms as a person, personally, which is the big advantage of golf because it's so personal when you're out there, um, you'll, you, may have, you, may you may experience some difficulty. So I also think that when we're talking about right questions, there is a way in which you can ask questions effectively. And once again, I said earlier that all of these ideas we're talking about tonight are linked together. Uh, right. And in this instance, in this instance, you're going to work on that planning piece we were talking about a little earlier. You're going to want to plan most of your questions if you can in advance. But as we said earlier, Ted, like everything else, you got to really be alert and stay flexible. You also said, yeah. and I totally agree with you. Things are changing so rapidly in the golf industry, and things change so quickly when you start interacting with people. You really got to be alert 
to react to the changes. And if you are, you're going to be able to take advantage of the opportunities that develop from those changes that you explore with a potential customer. Um, right. And I think, I also, yeah, and I think some of the questions – sorry, go ahead. No, finish the thought, and then I want to chime in. Well, I, I think the other thing that's really important, too, we, we, we all know that attention spans today are incredibly short. So right. it's always wise when you're asking the right questions to keep them just as simple and as straightforward as you can. Yeah, and you're exactly right. Um, just two points I want to make, Peter, just on, on what we've been talking about here. Um, first and foremost, you know, going back to, to asking the right questions, um, I think one thing that you have to, especially if you have an opportunity where you're out in a golf course uh, with some prospective clients, um, you want to avoid, uh, certainly in most cases, you want to avoid yes or no answers. Um, because it doesn't Absolutely. give you much much information. One of the biggest mistakes that you can do is ask a, a customer or a potential customer a question that solicits either a yes or no, um, because then you have to come up with some follow up questions, um, and and you want to be able to get you want to get them talking. You want to engage them in a conversation so that they're going to be able to give you more information that then you can use later on when you're making your assessments. Um, I, I want to make a very critical point here um, to something that you said, you know, asking a number of sources. That's extremely important because I think that people, uh, again, uh, some of maybe some of the professionals or even some of the, the entrepreneurs out there uh, in the golf business uh, miss the boat on this one. And I'll explain to you why, Peter, here uh, in just a moment. But I, I think a lot of them have become so ingrained uh, in, and they talked about this in the coach's corner, sort of in a comfort zone, if you will. They're comfortable doing things the way they mm -hmm. have, and they're mm -hmm. very uh, afraid of change. One of the reasons why I think it's, and, and Peter, I'm, I'm sure you would agree, why it's important to ask a number of different uh, sources and get solicit different people, uh, not just your customers, but suppliers, other golf uh, experts that are out there, people within your nest network, and, and obviously some advisors out there, is it gives you a different perspective uh, it might mm -hmm. be the same topic, but it gives you some different perspective. Now, that doesn't mean you have to follow every one, but you need to have that input. And I do that uh, with the show all the time. That's one of the reasons why I reach out to a, a wide variety of people, both men and women in the golf industry, uh, new to the business, and those seasoned profession, professionals like John and Brandon tonight and others, Clint, I mentioned earlier in the show as well, because I want their perspective. I don't want to just go to my students and say, okay, well, here's what Ted has to say, and you need to follow what I have to say all the time. I, I learn from others in the business, other experts out there in the field. And by doing that, by soliciting their uh, bits and pieces of information, I can better form um, some better resolutions that are going to help uh, me attract new business, of course, attract new audience uh, and listeners. Uh, and so I, I need to, to not miss that opportunity, if you will. And I think there's some people out there that have sort of gone down that path for a while. And that's, again, one of the other reasons why I wanted you on here tonight. Boy, I'll tell you, I, I spent a lot of time at my business asking customers and suppliers and my advisors for new – I drive them crazy, to tell you the truth. Uh, I've had, I've had yep. my advisors say, do, do, do you ever shut up? Uh, and I think that this is really important because these folks bring the objectivity to my business that I don't have. I'm too close to it, and I'm sure a lot of the business folks out there feel the same way. We get, we get too close to our businesses. We can't see it objectively the way our customers do, our suppliers and our advisors right. do. So I totally, I totally agree, Ted, with, with, with what you're saying. That objectivity piece is, 
is very, very important. I've never, I've never been um, someone who wouldn't seek answers from people who potentially have more knowledge than I do. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't have. I, I'm sure a lot of business folks out there, whether they're owner operators or whether they have a, a, they're part of a team in a business. Um, we can be learning from these these folks, and they're going to bring their objectivity. And equally important, they're going to bring new, fresh ideas about opportunities for growing our business if we just give them the opportunity. The other thing I'll say quickly too is that they want to help. These, mm-hmm. these folks who we are going to tap into, uh, they want to help you. And, and, and as a matter of fact, oftentimes they're, they're flattered by the fact that you would actually ask them uh, for their ideas and their help. Right. Right, right exactly. Uh, and, and also, too, Peter, I think, you know, as you, as you pointed out earlier, um, by talking to different individuals like that, uh, and soliciting their their opinions and their advice is going to help you focus on your business direction because as I pointed out earlier as well I think that if you're if you're too busy kind of going in one direction all the time uh, and not sort of adhering to the changes that are going on around you um, then by the time you do realize you're so well ingrained in, in in this philosophy over here that you've missed the boat over here and potentially lost some sales and lost some um, future mm-hmm. business. Definitely can and, happen. Def- definitely and that goes, can happen. that goes into tip number four, which is to listen, uh, obviously number one, to learn uh, from that information and then how do we apply it. So um, obviously we understand – we should understand rather as a better way to phrase it. Um, we should understand the importance of listening uh, to our customers, um, whether you're in the golf industry or out. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, – on tip number four – Number one, why sure. listening uh, is important when we learn from that and then how we apply it. Well, I, I think we tend to minimize listening as an important skill. Uh, you know, we take the position sometimes that, after all, we've been listening all our lives, so what's there to know? But listening right. is, is extremely important to growing our businesses and to selling. And, and, it, and so it is a skill that we need to spend time on, dedicated time on. And why is that? Well, listening, listening to the answers to our questions gives us the facts and information we need to, to move ahead. Um, you know, it, it, it's really curious to me that the advice I get from sales experts is that in, a, in an ideal sales interaction or business interaction, there should be 80% listening and only 20% talking. That's mm-hmm. pretty difficult for a guy like me, as you know, Ted. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, the exact, it's the exact reverse of what comes right. naturally for most of us. And, and to turn this around, because it is a fact of life, the trick is really to work to slow your mind down, to really focus in on and listen actively with full attention to every answer that you're being given. And, and I'll be the first to admit, this takes a ton of practice. Yes. And I, I guess when, it, when you talk about listening, I think the real takeaway is that and, and I think you were touching on this earlier, and I wanted to come back to it. The more we can get our customers and our potential customers talking by asking the right questions and then listening closely for their answers, the more we're going to learn. And that's why I call this tip, listen, learn, and apply. And then right. the third step, 
which is really important for business growth, uh, is once we're armed with all we've learned, we can select and apply the information that works best to grow our business and, and right. to make the sale. Uh, and, and, these, and, and this listening skill will, will really work for everyone, whether we're selling lessons, we're selling equipment, memberships, tournaments, that they'll work for everybody. And, and they are, they are the, the, list, the ability to listen and really pay attention um, is, is phenomenally important. Um, I always l- like to listen and watch uh, David Faraday on the Golf Channel, and, and you know right. you can say what you want you can say what you want about David, but I got to say his questioning and listening skills are a joy to watch. Faraday, right. first of all, espouses what we've been talking about: preparation, planning, having a goal for what he wants to achieve with his guest, uh, you know, asking the right questions. And, and David's a master at it. He, he, his questioning skill, and by the way, I'm not David's agent. Um, his question no. <laughs> skills a joy to watch. He, he, right. he, I wish I worked. Anyway, he, he asks, he, he asks the question of his guest. Then he patiently waits for the answer. After he gets the answer, he reacts to the answer often humorously, but he reacts mm-hmm. to it. And then he moves right away on to the next question. He's really right. a master of, of this, all of what we're talking about here, which is asking the right questions and then really paying attention and listening and learning from the answers and then going out and applying those answers to your business in the most effective way. Right. And, and you're exactly right um, about, um, about Faraday. He, he, he is a, certainly a master in that area. I, I want to uh, just going back to the listening part here, something to, just sort of a takeaway from what we talked about in coach's corner earlier tonight. Um, when I was talking about the teaching and learning aspect from a coach's perspective, um, and, and the principles, the second principle under there was students must be willing to, to change. They must be willing to make these changes mm-hmm. that, that we're trying right. to incorporate. And one of the, the, the sort of the do's and don'ts, if you will, um, that sometimes the, the pros do is that they don't ask the question, you know, are you willing to make some of these changes we're, we're discussing here today in the lesson? Um, and quite often they will uh, sort of insist that these students make the change. And, and that's sort of a no-no in selling as well. You know, this is why it's important that we have to listen um, to our customers because if we sort of just bulldoze our way along, we're not really meeting the needs of the customer. We're sort of enforcing or imposing our needs and, and will, if you, if you, um, you know, if you phrase it that way, uh, to the customer. And more often than not, we're going to lose the sale and potentially lose a customer in the long run. So this is why listening... Uh, is important, and I think there's a lot of people out there that really need to take heed to this uh, area, this particular tip, because there are a lot out there that don't listen, um, and I've come across them, and uh, and I'm sure you have as well, Peter. That don't sure, want to listen. Sure, we're all think, think, we're all guilty of it, Ted. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and so I really want to emphasize that we have to listen. I even find myself sometimes on the show, I've got to shut up and and let the guest, uh, and which I'm going to do right now. Um, and and let you uh, expand on that a little bit. But you understand what I'm talking about. I I think that uh, that's that's a key uh, area, a key tip uh, if if you want to be successful in selling, regardless of what, whether you're in the golf industry or out of the golf industry. And Peter, go ahead. Definitely. 
De- no, definitely agree. And and I, I think, as I said earlier, Ted, it, it, we tend to minimize it. We we said we tend to think that oh yeah, everybody, you know, we've been listening all. As I said, we've been listening all our lives. So what's there really to know here? But by listening carefully, and and focusing in on what you're being told, it's a learning experience. And and we've been talking a lot about learning about our potential customers and learning about people we can sell. And we're going to get into this next at the next show. But I think that we we by listening carefully, we get we get a potential customer or a customer on side with us from a personal standpoint. And we're going to right. the, the the personal element of this is very very important. What we're saying to him or her is, hey, your message is important to me, and I'm giving it the care and the attention and the focus that you and your message deserve. And it goes right. right back to, it goes right back to this understanding of people. And uh, it, it really is an important, an important part. I also don't want to minimize with listening and learning that it takes a lot of practice and we really sure. have to work on it. Uh, that 80, 20 rule I was talking about, uh, you know, the closer we can get to the 80% listening, as you said, Ted, the more effective we're going to be because we learn all about what it is. We First of all, we learn the, the makeup of our customer, but we learn what's important to him or her, and then we're in a better position to, to move ahead with some positive, selling act, uh, some positive selling activity. Right. And, and also to, you know, Peter, it, it just uh, again, to, to add one more uh, thought to it, you know, we have two ears and only one mouth and there's a reason for that. We should be listening twice as much as we're talking. So uh, with that, Peter, uh, let's move on to tip number five. And, and of course, um, everybody wants to, to talk about the, the benefits of, of doing business with them. If they're a golf course, they want to talk about the golf course and some of the unique features of the golf course. Um, maybe they've got uh, some interesting things that they're selling in the pro shop. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things. So um, we want to make sure that when we're selling uh, the, the benefits, if you will, in tip number five, is we want to make the customer aware of what's in it for them. What are they going to get from the experience from dealing with it? So let's touch a little bit about that if we can. Excellent. Yeah, well, selling selling your benefits, uh, tip number five, really is where really we can really build excitement. I, I just love this part of any selling interaction because you can really build excitement about your business, your product, your service. And boy, I'll tell you, selling the benefits is a real opportunity for us to really shine and, as you suggested, differentiate our business from the others that are out there. Uh, right. It's kind of obvious that when customers buy our business will grow and and our customers as you said ted are going to buy from us based on how well we promote by showing selling and telling them what's in it for them in other words right. what what are the benefits they'll get from dealing with us and our business so you know the fact of the matter is what is in it for them uh well uh, how about what makes our business or our product unique mm-hmm. or how it's different from our competition? These are things that we're going to want to cover when we're, when we're, we're shining and we're trying to differentiate our business. What are some of the values that the customers will get when they do business with us? 
you know, what are those? What, let's let's itemize those or have a clear idea of what they are. What are the positive experiences that they're going to enjoy when they buy from us? Right. And really, and really, these are the kinds of things that when you, I always encourage people when I'm working with them on business growth to really think about their business in a sense that if they were the customer or they wanted to go out for goods and services, why would they want to deal with your company? And I think if we kind of reverse the role here, boy, we can really make some yards because, you know, these are really the things that are important. And, And when we think about them, and perhaps going back to what we said earlier, getting some outside help and advice and thoughts on it, uh, we can we can really we can really make it happen. Um, and and I think also um, we're pretty lucky. You touched on this earlier, Ted. Um, mm. You talked about the technology tools we have out there. Well, those right. technology tools are all part of selling and promoting our business. And more importantly, the benefits of dealing with us in our business. You know, that can happen in person, online, with ads, with all the boost on social media, our golf groups. And one of your favorites and my favorites is getting into the community, our community presence. We can sell the benefits of dealing with us from our community presence and from product shows and sponsorships. and, And as I said, boy, the time to be doing this is so perfect because we have unbelievable and unlimited ways that we can go and sell uh, and promote our business. And most importantly, as we say here at tip five, the benefits of our business, you know, really the, you know, when you start thinking about this, Ted, the, the biggest challenge we have is really choosing the ways uh, that sell the benefits of our business best uh, yeah. because we have a lot of choices. Uh, because of all these channels of being able to sell and promote our benefits. And then once you've chosen the best ones for you, and that's where I say this is where the thinking and the planning and the strategy comes into play. Uh, Yourself, with your advisors, with the folks that are willing to help you, and then putting them into action with a a realistic and a a doable plan once you've made some choices on how you're going to present your benefits to those that you want to do business with in the best possible way. Right. And, and you want to be able to, um, you know, and I want to touch on something else, too, that you and I had talked about, again, not uh, tonight yet on the show, but I, I want to bring this in because this falls right into this line. You know, one of the, I guess, the criticisms I would have that, I, that I've seen in the golf industry here um, over the last few years, especially down where I am, is that sort of old idea that, you know, if I just open up my doors in the morning, they will come. Well, the problem with that is, and as you just pointed out, with all the technology and the ways of, of getting the word out there, and, and especially for golf, and I'm, obviously I'm talking about golf courses now. Um, sure. You know, when you're in an area like Florida or, or Myrtle Beach, and, and now certainly uh, in other areas of the country, where you've got a high concentration of facilities within literally a stone's throw, why do they want to come to your business? You know, why do they want to play your golf course? Certainly people of curiosity will go, um, and you can certainly do some effective advertising and marketing and things like that. But again, it goes to what you talked about, getting out in the community and and having a presence. You want 
um, not just the the, the uh, owners of the club, but you want the the golf pros. Not you want them out there in the community and in being engaging in, in business networking and things like that. Getting people excited about wanting to come and play their course. And and I think one of the mistakes that the industry right has done here is they've they've said, okay, well, um, you know, we've got five courses in the area, and so and so's green fees are, are this amount. Their green fees are that amount. Um, in order to draw people over here we're going to cut prices down and and that can work if done strategically to a point but if you're continually in in a in a pricing war with everybody else you know look at Myrtle Beach where you've got literally hundreds of golf courses oh. within a very short drive um, absolutely you know what what makes you stand out and the only way that it stands out is you need to get out there and network and make people aware of what's going on and the same thing with with teach professionals i mean i hate to say it but there are a dime a dozen there's hundreds and hundreds if not thousands mm-hmm. of great teacher professionals out there why do they want to come take lessons from me or why do they want to take lessons from john or brandon um these guys have have, have done exactly what we're talking about here tonight they've gone out there effectively and and market and promote it and they've got active and 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 aggressive in their communities um to attract that business and that's why you know their lesson uh plans are are booked but there's Mm -hmm. others out there Mm -hmm. that are struggling and it's because they're not really out there selling the benefits of of why somebody wants to come and take lessons with them or why somebody wants to come and play their facility um they're relying on some of those older methods that 20 years ago might have been applicable but in today's economy and market they don't apply anymore You've got to uh, do some of the things that we've suggested here tonight. You bet, and and that that is very very true. The the, the personal way in which we can do this uh, is really the key to to benefit setting and building building your business. Right, exactly. And and, and again, you know, I'm not I, I'm not saying these things, Peter, because I I certainly don't want to knock those in the profession. I think there's a lot of great. Uh, owners and, and a lot of great uh, managers out there, but I think as it goes to one of the earlier uh, tips is, uh, and again it goes back to the planning is we've got to plan well uh, and mm-hmm. be willing to ad- be willing to adapt uh, when changes come mm-hmm. come around. And if we're head uh, you know head deep in technology and worrying about um, having the, the, the latest swing monitors and things like that. And again, I'm not knocking them. I think they're a vital business tool, but that's all they are, is a business tool. If we're focusing all of our efforts on one area of the business, uh, on the technology, having the latest and greatest technology in teaching, uh, and not really focusing on the other areas, um, then something's going to suffer. And this is where, again, going out and getting advice and, and getting people – Listen, invite groups in and, and let them experience the facility um, and, and say, you know, even if you've Nothing got it better, mm-hmm. invite them for free and say, look, we want you mm-hmm. to come out here. We're going to we're going to dedicate one day this month to inviting, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30 local businesses in here, uh, business leaders in here to maybe play a free round of golf and, and experience our facility, because if they enjoy it and feel good about it, they're going to go out there and communicate that, especially if you're a new facility. That's a great way to do that. Um, but if you're just discounting prices all the time and, and giving away your business, um, you're going to be closing up shop really quick. No question. And, and creative new ways done personally is the way to win with this one. It, it truly is. As you said, the social media, the, the tech tools are tools. But we as business owners and, and we as, as people working in businesses, we got to sell those benefits personally 
and use the tech tools uh, as a helper or as a tool. And um, this is a time, as I said at the outset of this particular tip, this is a time where you can really think and get creative about what it is you're really doing. Uh, what is what is the message you want to have out there? And as you said, Ted, it's 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 being active and being out there personally because you're really the face. You're really the face and the owner or the manager or the team member of the business. People want to right. meet you. They want to see what you're all about. They want to see what your business is all about. And and I think this is a a whole a whole picture of what really goes into selling selling your benefits. Um, and, and and this is one that that as I say I have a personal affection to because it it gives you a chance to really think about what your business is and does and how you can get your selling message across uh, with benefits. Right, and that of course of brings us to you. right. Uh, comes to our next tip, uh, tip number six, which is get a commitment to action, uh, which is basically closing the deal. Um, you know, you've you've sold them on the benefits, you've you've listened to what their concerns are, and um, you know, as a club owner or as a golf professional uh, or manager, and uh, now it's time to get them to act uh, and make a commitment, uh, whether coming to play in your course or or making purchases or doing business, um, getting that commitment. So let's touch a little bit on that. Sure, sure. And and by now, Ted, you've, you've invested a lot of time, a lot of effort and energy with the person you're selling. And because of that, we, we need to come away with a commitment to some course of action and, frankly, not be humble about asking for it. Uh, right. The best possible commitment, obviously, is uh, for a customer to say, hey, I'm in. Here's my credit card. Well, yeah, wouldn't that be nice every time? Uh, it yeah. doesn't quite happen <laughs> that way, as you and I both know. Right. Uh, we got to be realistic commitments really come after several smaller bite-sized chunks or smaller steps that, that you do over time. Uh, the, the, once again, the takeaway here is we need to get a commitment from every interaction to some kind of action in the future that will lead to a positive buying decision and effectively grow our business. Um, yeah. The action, for example, can be a commitment to another meeting, a phone discussion, maybe even an email exchange of information. Sure. And all of these are smaller steps that lead to a buying decision down the road. And, and I think the, the real simple way to go about getting a commitment is to ask for it. Pretty simple. Sure. Sounds simple, and it is. You go and ask for it. And if we don't ask, we're not going to get one. Uh, really, the final takeaway when you talk about uh, getting a commitment to action, really, is it's a, it, it truly is essential. Uh, and, and the other thing I would say about getting a commitment to action <clears throat> Uh, in small stages, if you can't get it first off the bat, uh, is that it can take some time. So you'll need to hang in there with this particular yeah. customer, provided you've made the judgment that this customer is worth hanging in with. Uh, and that's up to you and your business and the way you evaluate your prospects and your customers. Uh, but hang in there because I've always felt that you deserve a reward for all of that time and effort you've invested with this customer. So that's a little bit of a ramble there on getting a commitment to action, but uh, hopefully we've given you some ideas and some tips on how to make that happen. Well, and, and, you know, Peter, just to add a little bit to that tip number six, getting that commitment, asking for, for the order, if you will, or, or a, a, uh, for the is extremely important. I mean, how many times, and, and Peter, I'm sure you've experienced as if I if we're being honest here, uh, very early on in our career, you know, you go through a great sales presentation. You know, you've you've talked the features and benefits of the product or service that you're offering, 
only to either let the customer walk out of your, your store or to walk out uh, of their business and not ask for the order, ask for the commitment. Um, mm-hmm. And the next guy that walks in, you've, you've primed and you've ready that individual <laughs> to your right. commitment and your competitor walks in and closes the deal. He doesn't have to do any of the legwork. And, and, and again, I, I want to go back to what, what I talked about, how I opened up the show tonight. Um, Peter, is the reason why I wanted to do this. You know, we're not talking about fixing the golf swing here. That that was in Coach's Corner. That's, you know, we're, we were talking golf uh, more in, in Coach's Corner, uh, and I've certainly talked golf in many years. The main reason I wanted you on here tonight is because I think there is a need in the golf industry to go back, just as as, as those that are playing golf need to go back to the to key fundamentals of, of playing better golf. Uh, I think as business leaders and business professionals, male or female, young or old, we need to go back to the fundamentals of selling because that's really what, what uh, you know, business is all about is selling one, to one another and to each other um, various products and services. And I think a lot of people have really, especially in the golf industry, I think there's a lot of them out there um, that have missed the boat, that have forgotten it. And um, this is a good refresher course. I think – the, the golf industry needs this, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring it to this forum tonight. Great, and, and I really appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to, to talk with you about it, Ted, because I know we share a lot of the same ideas and thoughts about how important it is to, to get that sales component to build your business. And sometimes there's a little bit of a reluctance to get involved in this, and what mm-hmm. I like to do with my tips is to really <clears throat> keep them simple. And, and because, you know, re- really keep them simple. A lot of the ideas we've talked about tonight are, are, aren't new, but they're great reminders. And, right. and as I said earlier, they, they work for everyone, no matter what your business is. Uh, they, they work. They're universal, uh, whether you're selling lessons or you're, you're selling memberships or equipment. Um, <clears throat> and, and I'm really hopeful that as a result of, of going through the tips, and I know that next week we're going to be talking about building relationships for today and yep. tomorrow, because it's such a major component for increasing sales and building our golf businesses. Uh, so that that we'll be tying together next week, uh, building relationships along with that people component I was talking about earlier in the three P's, and really going mm-hmm. into them in depth. Because I think you've done a great job tonight in kind of touching on the people element of this, which is one of, once again right. one of my favorites. I'm a huge believer in people and relationships, uh, and I use those those people and relationships every day to sell more effectively in my own business. Um, right. So that's 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 my hope tonight is that that the folks out there can take a hold of these ideas. As I said, they're simple, they're straightforward, they're easy to understand, and uh, my hope is that they can put them into place in their businesses to grow them uh, through selling and through relationships with people. Right, and and that was a, a very eloquent way of, of putting tip number seven together, uh, building relationships for today and tomorrow. And and as Peter just uh, alluded to, that we're going to get into that in more depth uh, next week, of course, uh, in part two of the series. Um, obviously, looking forward we don't have to the it. time. Yeah, we don't have the time to get them both in here. There's a lot of information, and it, and it is important because the, the industry, like every other industry, is changing. It's constantly evolving. There's more. Uh, you know, it's not just here in the United States, but it's, it, golf has become a global sport. Um, there are many, many uh, other Globally. countries outside of, you know, outside of Canada and the United States um, that are, are very aggressively getting into the golf industry. 
And as, as more and more people look to travel uh, and, and look for new and exciting uh, challenges and things to see, um, just because these you know people are doing that doesn't mean that the, the businesses here back home um, have to sort of say, well, you know, they're going over here now, so we'll just close up shop. No, we need to retool, rethink how we're going to mm-hmm. handle it. And, and again, mm-hmm. we're not going to stop the flow of traffic going here and there, but we want to get our fair share uh, of, of the consumers out there interested. And we want to grow the game. We want to get more people. Um, I mean, there's, what, nearly 7 billion people on, on the earth, uh, but yet here in the United States, uh, there's probably about, uh, and, and the numbers have declined a little bit, about maybe 25 million golfers. Um, that's not mm-hmm. very many when you consider the population here in the United States is, is well over 300. Um, so right. there's, there's, there's plenty of room to grow just in your own backyard, but you're not going to do that effectively if, if you're negating you know, any of these tips that we've talked about here tonight. And more importantly, um, the relationship building uh, tips that we're going to give you next week. So we want to make sure you come back for that. Um, Peter, we, we've literally only got a few minutes left here. Uh, I mean, it's hard to believe this hour has just blown by. Uh, I want to give the <laughs> folks an, an opportunity. Yeah, literally, it's blown by here. I want to give the oppor- uh, opportunity to let you let the folks know. Uh, and we'll talk about um, the game, the selling challenge. Uh, we'll have to do that for next week because we don't have time tonight. Sure. But uh, where can sure. the folks get in touch with you, Peter, if they want more information? How can well, they reach I'm, out I'm to delighted, you? I'm delighted, I'm delighted to help anyone in your audience. Uh, they can reach out to me anytime. My email is peter at mygoforthegreen.com. And our website, of course, is www.mygoforthegreen.com. So I'm, help, I'm very, very uh, 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 willing to help uh, anyone out there that, that heard the tips and uh, wants to apply them, uh, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk with you. As I said earlier, Ted, I, I, I'm a big believer in summing up benefits, and I better do this because people will start to yep. wonder if I really, I really follow through with what I said I was going to do. Here's what right. we talked about tonight. The three Ps for business performance, their preparation, planning, and people. We're going to get into people big time next week, and both Ted and I yep. are looking forward to that. Grab your goals, ask the right questions, then listen, learn, and apply sell your benefits and have fun with them and get excited about them and make yourself unique and get a commitment to action. And then the next one we're going to do next week is building relationships for today and tomorrow. So really looking forward to uh, sharing those tips with you on next Thursday's show. And uh, it's been great. Thank you so much for the opportunity of uh, coming out and, and sharing these tips with your audience, Ted. I've really enjoyed it. Well, I appreciate it, uh, Peter. As I said, uh, you know, I, I'm one of the things I said earlier in the program tonight on the Coach's Corner panel uh, to the guys, Brandon and John, was that, you know, I, I really I want to get away from sort of the traditional um, discussions on, on the show that, uh, that you hear in so many other programs out there where they're talking about the sort of the same golf tips all the time. I really want to get mm-hmm. people out there thinking, uh, understanding that there's more to golf than just having the perfect golf swing, uh, because really the perfect golf swing doesn't exist. It's, it's, a, it's a much like life. There's going to be pitfalls. There's going to be challenges that we're going to be faced with. And uh, so one of the things that I want to do with this show is to be able to uh, give people other perspectives to think about. And my guests that come on the show have done a great job. And, Peter, you've done a fantastic job tonight, and I appreciate that. Uh, and for those so of you tuning in, so. for those of you tuning in, uh, make sure that you come back next week uh, and join Peter Willis and I 
um, as we wrap up uh, with series number two, which is going to talk about, as we said earlier, uh, is going to be talking about uh, people and relationship building tips for your business. And this can apply to any business. Obviously, we're on a golf show here. We're going to be applying it to, to the golf uh, community out there. But this really applies to anybody. So whether you're in the golf profession or you're not, um, tune in to Golf Talk Live next Thursday at 6, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 Eastern for you on the East Coast. And make sure that you tune in and listen to the show because Peter and I have got some great tips for you as well. Peter, again, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. And uh, I will see you here next week. You bet. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Ted. All right. You're bye-bye. welcome. Have a great night. All right. Bye-bye. You too. And thank you as well uh, for, for joining me every week on uh, Golf Talk Live uh, here on blogtalkradio.com. Uh, again, thank you for all of your uh, thoughts and, and input into the program. It's really you guys that, uh, that are tuning in every week that help me uh, to make this a better show. So I'm going to keep it up. Uh, again, thank you to my special coaches corner guys, uh, John Hughes and Brandon Stukesbury. Thanks, guys, for doing a great job. And also to my very special guest, Mr. Peter Willis, uh, founder and president of the Willis organization. Thank you, everybody, and I will see you right here next week on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody.